0: welcome to art on the verge
1: the new 74 podcast series hosted by bryce Bolkowitz, discussing the drastically changing dynamics of the art world in the wake of the pandemic from the way art is produced to how it's presented and experienced we will also explore where creative thinking can take us and the potential of a collaborative culture in the new world. Let's join Bryce Walkowitz in conversation with artists, curators, educators, and collectors. John Hanhart is an American author, art historian, and curator of film and media arts. John's expansive curatorial practice spans five decades. He began his career in the Department of Film and Media at the Museum of Modern Art, he subsequently held curatorial positions at the Walker Art Museum, the Whitney Museum of American Art, the Guggenheim Museum, the Smithsonian American Art Museum, and most recently, the University of Rochester, Rochester's alma mater. In addition to his museum experience, John has published, lectured, and taught extensively on film and media art. He has held adjunct teaching positions at Columbia University, Harvard University, and the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, to name but a few. I am pleased and honored to be speaking today to my dear friend and mentor, John Hanhart, on this episode of Art on the Verge, a collaboration with
0: Istanbul 74.
1: Hello, John. Welcome.
0: Hello, Bryce. Great to be speaking with you.
1: Lovely to be speaking with you as well, John. So you've had an illustrious career, John, working with the true luminaries in the field of the moving image. So let's begin with your beginnings. What led you to this field, which has consumed your professional life for 50 plus years?
0: Well, uh, the beginnings are when uh, I grew up in Rochester, New York, and that was home to the George Eastman Museum, which is one of the great uh, film archives, one of the great world uh, film archives. And it was there, and I can still remember this, that I saw films in a perfect viewing situation, a theater devoted to cinema. And that experience um, was the inspiration that uh, really led to my trying and working to find a path to be able to continue that experience and learn more about it, learn more about the cinema. And so from there, I um, pursued that and uh, through Uh, I went to the uh, University of Southern California for a short time to have the direct experience. And this is something I consider very important with making a film, hands-on, storyboarding, editing, shooting, uh, and making a short film. And also developing and shooting photography and developing it in the darkroom remember that. So that was, uh, these were really central experiences and were very important to, in the future when I would work with artists, this direct hands-on experience. And um, when I was there in California, I, I heard Hitchcock came to our class, I watched Jerry Lewis direct, I mean, at in, in the studio. I mean, this was uh, a fantastic time. And then uh, uh, I was told by Arthur Knight, who's on faculty and a leading film uh, uh, critic, said, John, I know you don't want to be a filmmaker and you want to learn more about film, so I urge you to go to New York University and the uh, Department of Cinema Studies, which was the first in America devoted to the study of film as an art, not about filmmaking, that was another part of NYU, but... And to look at film in terms of history, criticism, and theory. And this was in the late 60s in a very important, extraordinarily exciting time in the avant-garde film and in film studies. Annette Michelson, um, a leading film theorist, was a uh, faculty and a, a great inspiration to uh, my work. And I immersed myself in film. New York City was a center for uh, film culture many theaters, and of course the Museum of Modern Art and its great screening program. And uh, I, um, it was uh, fantastic. And there I thought, you know, I'm gonna become a film scholar, I'm gonna become an academic and thought that's the direction I would take. And then this story takes an important turn. And that was that I was awarded a curatorial internship funded by the New York State Arts Council. Enough money to actually live in New York. It was fantastic, it was a different time. And um, there I had my first uh, really great mentor in Willard Van Dyke, who was director of the Department of Film. And he made it possible. I worked very hard and he was so supportive. He put me in an office right next to his. And I uh, worked in all areas of the Department of Film. This is the founding museum film archive department in the world. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, very important. And um, uh, there, oh, there I, um, I, I worked in every area of the Department of Film. Uh, the uh, film archive under eileen bowser the film study center i ran that for a while film stills collection led then by mary uh, corliss um and willard and i began a film series that continued uh for over many years and uh documentary films and uh I worked with Peter Bogdanovich on Alan Joan retrospective. I mean, I was, and, and Willard sent me to Zagreb to write a report on independent short film distribution and exhibition and visits festivals uh, uh, in Europe. So that was a, a, a foundational experience. And all along I was fulfilling this ambition and discovered the museum. What an extraordinary institution. And uh, the story then goes from there. I mean, I went to the Walker Arts Center, where I established their film study collection and program department, and it was very successful. Then came back to New York, and it goes—you know—I uh, I love museums. They have all sure. the we're, great we're, potential.
1: We're we're gonna get we're gonna get into some of um, some of your. Uh future pursuits, but to, to say that that is an illustrious intro, introduction to a memorable career would, would be saying the least. So, so l- l- let me ask you this, John. You're widely considered to be the leading scholar on Nam Namjoon Pike. June, of course, is universally recognized as the father of video art. You curated exhibitions of his work at the Whitney Museum, the Guggenheim Museum, and the Smithsonian Museum. So speak, if you would, about how you and Pike came to be such great collaborators.
0: Well, it really began in the early 1970s, um, uh, I, after I, uh, I certainly knew of his work, uh, but when I joined the uh, Whitney Museum, in the mid-70s, I then uh, decided uh, that the film program would be important to expand it to include video. And what better teacher than artists, I spent, this is really important to my curatorial practice, and that is spending time with artists in their studio, learning firsthand about their practice. And in the case of Nam June, it was to spend time with him from that point on uh, at, at his, in his studio and conversation He he traveled together to uh, Germany and to meet his uh, artist friends because Germany was important to his development and his career. And uh, it began a really lifelong, uh, he died in 2006, and a partnership and um, a great privilege for me to have learned from him and to have worked with him. And... uh, he really, one of the things i just like to say about Nanjoon, I think this is important, is that he really believed in the support of all artists and all artists getting support was important and not just about himself. And, uh, he, he, you know, he was a, really uh, a visionary, as we show in a book that we just published for MIT Press, a collection of his writings. Um, and... Uh, it, as I said, it was a great privilege to, to work with him and, and over those many years.
1: So if you had to choose just one piece by Pike to define the essence of what made him so special, what would it be?
0: Oh, good question. <laughs> Such a large body of work and so much of it so seminal because he worked in, you know, in television, he transformed the idea of television sculpture and installation and videotape and film. I mean, it's such a protean figure, but uh, I think my uh, a, a favorite of mine certainly is TV garden, because it really embodies uh, the idea of uh, television and video uh, as an idea and as a medium, uh, a space filled with plants, with about 40 or 50 as a rule, televisions of different sizes, screens facing up like electronic flowers in this environment. And it really becomes a wonderful metaphor for the idea of the spread of television, of artists' television, of an art medium, as, uh, as artists are controlling this new canvas, this new moving image. And it's always... Um, a piece that you, as you spend time with it, you, spend, you learn more. It, it plays his global groove on one of his early uh, videos on the monitors and TVs. And um, it's a uh, uh, wonderfully uh, influential and also just poetic and exciting and uh, challenging in its own ways.
1: Sure. For, for, for myself, i choose TV Buddha, but... Uh, ah. I, 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 like, I, like, I like your selection as well.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Bryce. Well, a TV Buddha is a fantastic piece, that idea that, that the Buddha looking at himself it, it continuously through time and self-reflection, very uh, piece that really draws from his Korean roots, and Asian roots, uh, and which is an important aspect to uh, all of his art making.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I was also, also always drawn to Magnet TV, partly because of my interest in moholy um and you know, his, his experiments with, with the light space modulator. Um, I always found that to be a wonderful piece as well. Now, John- well, now Let I me just made, say
0: something, Bryce. I just, I'm sorry, you brought it up. Yeah. Magnet TV, I brought that work into the Whitney collection and um, it's a- it's a fundamental piece early 60s 64 where he transforms the cathode ray to making it into a sculptural object of movement and change it's a brilliant brilliant piece and uh uh it's uh and thank you for mentioning it.
1: absolutely and it was just recently shown um i i believe last year in chrissy isles um show as well um which, which yeah was from quite- the collection that's exactly right.
0: I was just going to say, also, Fond de siècle, too, was restored by the Whitney Museum. They've made a great investment uh, in Namjoon's work. And uh, I should just add here, just as a note for your listeners, is that the uh, Namjoon Pike archive, is uh, which I was involved in bringing to the Smithsonian American Art Museum in Washington, D.C., is home to an extraordinary body of his objects, literature, writings, and so forth. So um, there we go. There are a lot of museums around the world uh, support, have supported and represented Nanjune in their uh, collections.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Now, John, as I mentioned in my introduction, you've worked in several of the great institutions. I think if you would, for those of us unfamiliar with the culture inside museums, what makes one different from the other?
0: Oh, fascinating. Well, I'll tell you, there are a couple of things that that shape a museum. Uh, One is its own history, that legacy that uh, is sort of foundational to that institution. And then there is the uh, vision of the director and who is, uh, we hope has a vision for that institution and then the curators, the curatorial staff, which bring, who bring their visions into that institution, both in terms of exhibitions and collections. The art the, museum, depending on its size, and I've worked in both smaller museums like the Walker Art Center to large museums like the uh, Smithsonian to uh, the Whitney Museum of American the Guggenheim Museum. Uh, And then the Memorial Art Gallery in Rochester, each one has its own uh, characteristic, its own identity, its own goals, its own vision. And that's what I think is very important. I think that curators should bring a vision to a museum in their exhibition program, and the museum itself should embody um, uh, within their own mandate, because they're founded uh, under certain guidelines, to break them and expand them. And um, so that was, if I may just add to this, Bryce, I mean, that was, in terms of my over 20 years at the Whitney was to expand its collections and exhibition program, but also uh, to expand uh, in terms of multiculturalism and diversity. It was my challenge that to the museum that this was something we had to confront. What is a, what is a museum of American art? And, um, and I'm very uh, proud of my in- involvement with that uh, uh, and of my colleagues, then Thelma Golden and others, to realizing those goals.
1: Sure. So so I've always been curious of your thoughts, John. What do you attribute to institutions forming video and film departments so soon after the medium's since inception? I mean... Pike took up the Porta Pack in the mid-1960s. You, John, were at the helm of the Whitney already in the early 70s. It took photography a hundred years before formal photography departments were formed within institutions. And so I ask you, how did video and the moving image find its footing so quickly within the institutional ranks?
0: Well, that's a really interesting question. And uh, I, I would I would begin by saying that the um Uh, the the establishment of film collections, film archives, and film, and its history in the uh, museum was very important uh, precedent to uh, engaging with the electronic moving image of video. And again, foundational to that was the Museum of Modern Art. Uh, Iris Berry and Alfred Barr uh, developed the film uh, collection and program, curatorial program there, and they were instrumental in preserving the early history of cinema. So those are the um, great uh, sort of a history of precedent to this. And then uh, video, um, it came at a time of great change through the avant-garde of the mid-20th century. Artists were breaking down the, uh, the idea of media spec- medium specificity, that you could move as an artist to different uh, media, and different art forms, and different materials. It was a questioning of what the art object is and a challenge to traditional aesthetics. So that was happening in mid 20th century. In comes video, which b- artists like from Bruce Nauman to uh, any number of artists brought into their studios and uh, because of its ease to use and it's dealing with something which is fundamentally different from other art forms other than film and that is movement and film video had the ability for you could see it as it was being videotaped the expansive qualities of the medium were attracting and attractive to artists who were wanting to challenge the discourse of art and and then I would add that a new generation of curators, as everything was changing in the 60s and 70s, um, were responding to this. And there was a, an ambition, and I was fortunate to be there when uh, all across the country uh, uh, and all throughout Europe, also elsewhere, um, artists working with videos were absorbed into a new curatorial practice, a new generation of curators. So, um, and that made for uh, it's having a vital presence and transformative one in, in uh, the uh, in the art world. Now I would add, add that photography, because it's a still image, something you can frame and put on the wall, was very attractive to the economy of the uh, gallery, and uh, and so has. Uh, really uh, took off in terms of that as uh, people recognize that photography was foundational to the moving image. I mean, as everything else is. So, um, but I think your question, uh, it's a complex of different forces that uh, recognized video, but you know what? It was because of the artists who are creating really strong work. They were and this is a final point I want to make, is they weren't making, um, through video, art that looked like everything else. They made something that was specific to the medium through conceptual, narrative, abstract, a whole range of, of genres and ways of working, formal ways of working with the medium. So great artists and, then, uh, and, and museum interests uh, placed it uh, where it is uh, today.
1: Fantastic. I I I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with uh, all all your comments and sentiments. So I'd like to speak about conservation within the field. You created a series of symposiums, aptly titled "Preserving the Material," while at the Guggenheim. A series of workshops and conferences on variable media. What are your thoughts around a delicate piece of the medium's equation, if you will?
0: Well, the whole issue of preservation and medium and, and and New media. I mean, when we're talking about preservation, as we did there, preserving the material that extended across all nature of art making, including, um, of course, film and video and performance, uh, analog and digital media, uh, performance, as I said, time-based ways of working, and how do you preserve them? Here, the curators are saying to the museum, we have to have this work in our collection to be relevant to what's happening and because it represents some of the great work. Okay. Then they they come into the conservation department and they're suddenly confronted with work that, you know, is is not on a needle, is very different and uh, has a whole set of challenges. What was the artist intending? How do we preserve that? How do we uh, create a means to uh, change, to, to, you know, migrated as as analog works to digital and so forth. And all these protocols uh were in, in play and have been in play and um because museums are about the place where you go and see the original work, you know, and you're going to see it as the artist intended. And if it's in the collection, those have to be fulfilled. And that involves then the conservation department. And so what's also Developed in recent years uh, is preservation studies, conservation studies in the moving image. It's a very important one at NYU and other institutions around the world, where um, a new generation of conservators are now addressing uh, time-based media, and uh, and really fulfilling the ambition that we uh, marked with that uh, that conference. It was a I think a seminal moment for recognizing um, uh, the, the range of work that was informing contemporary art and inspiring uh, artists and, 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 and curators. But it's an ongoing challenge, an important one, and, uh, and the Guggenheim played a very important role in that. And all the museums have faced this, uh, this challenge of, of keeping that work alive.
1: I agree with all your sentiments, John, and certainly something that I deal with uh, relative to my gallery are these notions around migration and emulation. So it's certainly a discussion that's, that's ongoing. So with that, nobody has had as great an impact on my ethos and commitment to the moving image as have you, John. We met in 1997, you then Senior Curator of Film and Media Arts at the Guggenheim Museum. And you were moments from launching Bill Viola's breathtaking exhibition, Fire, Water, Breath. So let's now discuss your relationship to Bill and what you think makes him such an intriguing artist.
0: Well, I've known Bill uh, for uh, many, many years and uh, goes back to uh, in my days at the Whitney, where I brought him into the exhibition Pro, He was so a number of times and a number of his major pieces, some of his early major installations were commissioned as part of biennials biennials uh, over the years. So um, he uh, uh, really fulfilled an important part of what I saw as the, what video could become and had become through his vision on June's and other artists. And, um, uh Bill and I spent a lot of time together again, and I was learning from him. And uh, at the Guggenheim Museum, we did a number of projects. That one that you mentioned that was at the Guggenheim Museum, Soho. I'm I'm very proud of that piece. Uh, The installation of those works was, as you said, I mean, it's just beautiful and striking and important. But I also want to mention uh, Going Forth By Day which is one of his big, most ambitious installations, multiple uh, screen projections that was commissioned by the Guggenheim Museum, first shown uh, in Berlin and then uh, in, uh, in New York. It's a, a profoundly, um, a profound work that reflects on art history Uh, feelings, emotions, all this uh, this signature elements of his work. And he called it a a kind of immersive cinema because he went back to the idea of film. He was projecting directly onto the walls of the gallery through high definition, super high definition. uh, Video is working at the high end of the medium. And um, it it was uh, really uh, uh, fantastic. And the thing about Bill is that uh, and which I I, regret, I, I look for artists who have a vision, I mentioned this at the beginning, and uh, I'm I fascinated by his, I uh, spent time in his home, his library, his great interest in aesthetics, uh, he's a, an artist who is interested in the spiritual dimension of art, he looks at uh, art history, the renaissance, the development of perspective and he brings all of this into his thinking about this moving image medium so there's a profound conversation through nature and place through art history in his work uh, and also a complete command of the medium and his work is beautiful (laughs) and it's powerful in these ways that places him in a very different uh, position in this post-dechampian world of Conceptual art. I think his work is conceptual, but his work is deeply invested in the emotions and that transaction that can happen between a viewer and the feelings that he embodies in his art. So, um, you know, again, to be able to work to work with an artist to uh, to commission work. Uh, to spend time in the studio, and we did a lot, we've done a lot together, and I I published a book with Thames and Hudson on him, and and recently had an exhibition at the Barnes Foundation, its first video exhibition in Philadelphia, of Bill's work, and it it was interesting, one of the critics um, said, well, this work just stands up alongside what's on in the Barnes collection, which is a great comment on that, that power of, of Bill's uh, work. Do you have a favorite piece by Bill? Oh, I, um, you know, I uh, I like Hatsuyumi, First Dream. It's an absolutely uh, uh, brilliant work. I do not know what it is I am like. Uh, epic uh, uh, piece that reflects on nature and perception. In fact, in, uh, one scene in that film, I have to mention this, is he called me when it happened. He was artist in residence in the San Diego Zoo and he was focusing his telescopic camera on an owl. And then he realized he could see himself in the owl's eye. And he brought that into the work. So he was reflecting in nature's eye, his, his camera's lens, and his own self. And so that really is what Bill uh, uh, catches what he's, he's about. I also think that uh, Going Forth by Day, who piece I, I mentioned, uh, and uh, there's such an array to his his work. How about, how about you, Rob Price?
1: Well, I, I would say Heaven and Earth. Oldie but a goodie. Two screens pointed at each other. One of his dying mother and the other of his of his, uh, of his child, his newborn child facing one another, very, very poignant. Yeah.
0: Well, that's uh, you're so, mentioning so, a piece that really, again, draws from those fundamental experiences—birth, life, death—that uh, course through his work and ground it in ways that. Um, his, his, the medium almost vanishes. I mean, I mean, he couldn't have made the work without video and the moving image, but it's the power of what he's created that is what you remember.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. John, we have a unique history. You served as my mentor for several several years in the run-up to my gallery. Together, we plotted a course for what a contemporary gallery promoting video in the moving image would and would look like. And so I ask you, what do you see as the key role of the gallery today in supporting moving-based art?
0: Well, that's, again, a, a, a very interesting question because the, um, uh, the forces and I'm not of, of the gallery's world, I mean, which is all, <laughs> shall we say, facing another set of challenges as we speak, um, is, uh, you know, how to embrace um, this medium. Uh, June saw the future that there would be artists work on television, that there would be artists work in museums and also uh, in private, by private collectors. And I think that that is uh, still Going to ha- happen even further because the thing is that the medium is developing with flat screens, becoming something that you can apply directly to the wall, and uh, its, uh, its, its, its ability to maintain the work in different lighting conditions. All these are factors that you face as a gallerist and, and wanting to place work in a, in a home or a museum. And um, at the same time, uh, there's a great history to the medium. And this is where I, uh, there are a couple of things I want to say is that I, I very worry about that galleries, uh, also museums, don't really adequately look at the history of the moving image and have reduced it too much by the forces of the marketplace in terms of what sells. So that we know a few artists who are extremely successful. But there are a lot of artists who are less well known, and I think deserve that recognition and attention. So, um, uh, and I think that the no museum is that is looking at the art of the 20th and 21st centuries can be doing taking on that challenge without dealing with the moving image, but it has to change its architecture. It has to change its mode of distribution and presentation, it has to go on. There are so many ways that this medium, and MoMA is now trying to do that with the presentation of its collection, now putting film alongside um, uh, the other arts in, in their galleries, having the Warhol film in its own space alongside other gallery spaces, breaking it out, not, diluting how you present it and because you have to understand is that as you do know and understand what people uh, galleries have to understand is that this is a medium that has different demands we can't make it all be like a painting it's something it's something else and uh, so there's uh, we need of new generations of curators new generations of scholarship this is all half uh to uh support and, and there's a real desire on not only to diversify the uh, make more diverse and represent more fully the history of the moving image in terms of all kinds of art practice and video and film but uh, also to um uh, present it alongside the art the other arts and really change art history this is the role the museum has to play
1: sure so, so you were naturally instrumental in bringing the Pike, Ar- Pike Archive, as you mentioned, to the Smithsonian in 2009 while then curator, which is such a wonderful home to reside for future study and consideration. And so I ask you, John, I know how you have copi- copiously documented and created your own archives over the years. Speak about this ongoing process and where you hope your archive one day will reside.
0: Well, my, uh, well my, I, I can say is that my career archive uh, is now at the Bard Center for Curatorial Studies. And uh, there it is being cataloged and uh, inventoried and uh, providing, which is very satisfying for me, uh, access to um, a new generation of curators, uh, how a practice was uh, pursued uh, earlier. And there is a difference. Uh, and uh, so all of my uh, papers that are not in the respective museums I've worked that I kept are now there. Lots of Nam June Pike material. And uh, they're doing a, a brilliant uh, 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 job with that. Ann Butler is the librarian uh, head of the archive. And um, so that's uh, that's very satisfying, and also, uh, you know, an artist Nam June with whom I worked for so long to have that in a great public institution, which is what the Smithsonian is. Betsy Brune, who was then director of the Smithsonian American Art Museum, brought great resources to that archive, and um, it's a uh, it's a it's a wonderful thing, and it's it's helping a new generation of. Uh, Again, curators, artists, and scholars.
1: Absolutely. You, you helped me to conceive Art Apparatus, the title to the inaugural exhibition in my gallery 19 years ago. And in my humble opinion, it was a turning point in what was at the time a brand new medium of 40 years. So what's the significance of that term art apparatus and subsequently that group of artists who included Jim Campbell, Alan Rath, and John Simon?
0: Interesting, because the, uh, the inclusion of those artists uh, uh, represented different practices from analog to digital, from the instrument of the uh, monitored television to uh, new forms of uh, expressive uh, projection, and display, uh, Al Rath, Jim Campbell, and John Simon. So it, uh, that was focusing on the idea of the apparatus as a term that's used to identify the cinematic apparatus, a uh, video apparatus, the sort of techne, the technology, the uh, material that, that records and through which the artist works. And these artists all these three artists each brought that technology, brought that apparatus into their work. And uh, so that there was a really interesting integration of their imagery with the source of that imagery, the medium and the, again, that technology, which created then sculptures, three-dimensional works, flat works, uh, on the wall, John Simon, um, and uh, Jim Campbell, as well as uh, Alan Rath's three-dimensional more sculptural pieces. So those are um, uh, where I see the, the apparatus is an ongoing question. It's an ongoing issue uh, through um, the transformation of the media. of. Uh, film, video, digital media into this uh, super-flexible and uh, really transformative um, technology, a changed apparatus. It's important, one final point here, it's important that the determining what the apparatus is doing, not the apparatus. And that's the dialectic that well, I really wanted to capture in that show and I think we did very
1: well john in the words of one of your heroes the motorcycle racer valentino rossi riding a bike is an art a thing that you do because you feel something inside well i think it's fair to say that you felt something inside and have equally blazed a trail in the arts unlike any other and have impacted so many not to mention this humble kid from new york so maestro i thank you for your time today thank you brian